What up, Hume Lake? How we doing? Heck yeah. My name's Austin Payne. Um, like Corey and Annalisa said, I'm stoked to be with you guys uh, for the weekend and a long weekend at that, right? And it, yeah, man, I, I've kind of bounced around my whole life. I, I actually spent about seven years of my life at the beginning up here in Lake Arrowhead. So at Church of the Woods, y'all here? Hey, that's what's up. So uh, y'all actually supported my family for a long time. I'm, I'm a missionary kid. I grew up uh, most of my life down in Quito, Ecuador. And uh, I lived zero to seven here in Lake Arrowhead. And then we, we moved down to Quito, Ecuador, where I spent about 11 years and then kind of bounced around since then. Central Coast and Orange County. I'm, I'm now down in San Diego. My wife, Paige, and I were both on staff at a church called North Coast Church. And then we have a little girl named Piper. And she's uh, 16 months old now and just got me wrapped around her finger, right? This this little girl is the best. Um, we, we love doing life with her, but she's given us a run for our money for sure. Up, up to about like four hours ago, my wife and my daughter were gonna be with us. And then uh, parents in the room, you'll get this, right? She had one of those days that was like, we're not gonna sit in three hours of traffic right now and go up to Hume. And so y'all just get me this weekend, uh, but I'm, I'm pumped to be with you guys. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, do me a favor and open up to the book of Jonah. It's a It's a little book in your Old Testament. It's on page 1051 in my Bible, if that's helpful for anybody. Uh, but we're, we're going to turn here and we're going to walk through this entire book this weekend. But before we do that, and as you're turning there, a little bit about me, a little bit about my story is I, I grew up, like I said, going to church. I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, I'm the youngest of four siblings. Youngest, youngest siblings, where are you at? Come on now, right? Like you are, you already know that it's best to be the youngest sibling. Like your your parents kind of learn on all your other siblings by the time it gets to you. Like my my siblings all were were very upset with the fact that I like got more allowance and I had a lot more freedom than they had. It's just it's good to be the youngest, right? And oldest in the room, like you know that it's good to be the youngest. You know what I'm saying, right? Like, you get it. And so uh, I, I grew up going to church. I grew up coming to camps. I went to a private Christian school growing up. I did, I did a lot of, uh, you know, like sitting through chapels. And, and then uh, as I graduated from a, a private Christian high school, I went to Biola University. I played soccer there and, and studied biblical and theological studies. And if I'm being completely transparent and honest with you guys, I think I spent a lot of my life believing something that you you kind of saw represented in the opener in the, in this opening drama right like you, you got your front yard front yard gnomes that's a hard words to say together okay you got your front yard gnomes and they come out and they're like they're cool right like they they're doing their thing they listen to the gardener like they they know jojo and so it's like there's they got their front yard gnome vibe going on can we all just be honest with the fact that like when the backyard gnomes came out and like the beat dropped and the dance and like the moves and then like the stroke of the beard as he like laid down sideways, like when I watch that, I kind of go like, if I'm being totally honest, I'd rather be a backyard gnome, right? Like I'd rather wear the Hawaiian shirt and the Hawaiian leggings over the baggy shorts and like the, everything about that song and the dance, you just kind of go like they they seem like they're having a better time than the front yard gnomes, right? Right, like can we all kind of agree to that? Like you look at that and you just go like, I, I'd take the backyard gnome. And, and growing up in the church and, and being a part of a Christian family and going to a Christian school, I spent a lot of time growing up believing 
that to be a Christian meant that I lived kind of this boring life, but I got heaven at the end of it. And to be a non-Christian was like, you got to have all the fun. You got to go out and you got to do whatever you want to do. And like my non-Christian friends, like I, I played sports all growing up. And so my non-Christian friends, like they were the ones that would go to the parties and they were the ones that would like have the, the girlfriend or the, the boyfriend or whatever. And like they seemed to be having a lot more fun and having a, a better time. Right? And not that none of my Christian friends had like boyfriends or girlfriends, like don't get me wrong, but it just seemed like all of my non-Christian friends, like I remember saying things like, golly, like, man, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd be having a lot more fun, right? And, and I remember buying into this principle that to be a follower of Jesus and to go to church and like the rules and regulations and like the things that made me a good Christian and the things that I had to do, it, it was kind of a bummer, but at least I got heaven thrown in at the end. And if the options at the end of my life were heaven or hell, hell sounded terrible and heaven sounded like at least it's better than hell. Like, I don't know if it sounds fun. I don't know if it's going to be a good time. Like eternal worship service sounds kind of like merp, but we'll see. I don't know. It's, but I'll, I'll take it over hell. And so I, I settled for this boring life. And the only problem with that is when you open up this text and you start looking at this book and understanding that cover to cover, this book, 66 books written by 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years, written on three continents and three languages, telling one story. And I, and I, don't, know, I don't know your story, right? I don't know why you're here at camp. Like maybe, maybe you're a, a, the church kid that you've been going to every camp offered by your church for as long as you can remember, and you've basically grown up in the four walls that are your church, right? Like maybe that's you, and maybe that's your story. And this, the second your youth pastor was like, hey, we're going to camp, you're like, bet, like I'm there. Right? Like you signed up day zero. You were like, I'm, I'm already there. Or maybe you were like a, a last minute ad, like you hopped on the bus today, and you're like, where are y'all going, camp? Cool. Like, sounds good. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe a friend invited you. Maybe church isn't your thing. Maybe you're up here on this mountain, and the second that you came in here and we opened up the Bible, you went, oh, this is what this thing's about, right? This is what the camp's about. And wh wherever you fall on that spectrum, right, th this book, this story is the single greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety, and for me, even though I grew up around this thing called church and around camps and around Christian schools, I fundamentally missed what this book is all about, that it's not a book about what we have to do to get to God. No, it's the single greatest story ever told about a guy named Jesus and what God was willing to do to get to us, that God is a pursuer. And here's the beauty about this story. As we open up the story of Jonah, the Bible's not just a story about what happened once upon a time. The Bible's a story about what happens. And I want you to say that with me, okay? The Bible's not just a story about what happened. The Bible's a story about what happens. And that's going to be really important through all four of our talks this, this weekend that we understand this story. Right, the greatest story ever told that what happened to Jonah and what happened with Jonah and the people of Nineveh absolutely happened. It's fact. Right? It's, this isn't just a, a great story to teach us something that everything that was, is spoken about in this book is historical fact. Right? It's true, cover to cover. And yet it's not just a story about what happened. It's a story about what happens. And that's important for us as we understand who God is 
and who his character is. Because the more that we start to understand who he is, the more our life will start to come into clarity and we'll start to understand who we are and what our purpose is here. See, God is a God that pursues and God is a God that wants to meet you here this weekend. And whether you're the church kid that's grown up in in church and you've kind of done the church thing for forever or you're brand new to this whole thing, I promise you that God wants to meet you here this weekend. That I believe in the deepest part of who I am that God has a divine appointment with each and every one of you this weekend. Are you going to have fun? Heck yeah. Right? Hume Lake, this place is awesome. Hume SoCal, like if you've been to Hume, Hume, like up in Sequoia National Forest, like that place is awesome. Hume SoCal, this place is nuts, right? Like y'all see that, that broom hockey rink arena thing? Like that thing is bananas. Like y'all are going to hit each other this weekend in there. Like broom hockey is awesome, right? Like you're going to throw icy snow at one another, right? Like you're going to, you're going to have incredible memories from this weekend. Are you going to have a blast with your church, Right, these, these dramas, like, look at this stage. Like, this place is awesome. Right, like, y- y- I promise you, you're going to have fun this weekend. But don't miss the divine appointment that God wants to have with you as he wants to teach you and show up for you. That you would experience him, that this weekend would be a bookmark in your life. That as you go down this mountain or you go across the mountain back home, that this weekend would be a bookmark that you remember forever that God met you and that God changed your life. So in Jonah chapter one, verse one, read with me. Hey, it says this. And if you're anything like me, right, if, you got, if you're like old school and you do like pen and paper with an actual like physical Bible, right, like it, it, I encourage you as you have a, a pen with you to circle, highlight, underline, whatever you need to do in this text to make things stand out. And I'm going to give you an example here in a second, okay? Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. Okay, I want you to circle three words in this text. Okay? And if you're like, I can write in my Bible? Yes. The answer to that question is yes. Okay? The word of the Lord came. Circle that word came. To Jonah, the son of Amittai, go. Circle that word. To the great city of Nineveh and preach. Circle that word preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. See, the Bible's not just a story about what happened. The Bible's a story about what happens. So we can pick up on a context clue here of what God's like. And God is a God that pursues. How do I know that? The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Hey, do you get that? Can you pause for a second and understand that that God chooses to use somebody like Jonah? He chooses to come down and speak his word to Jonah, the God that always has been, the God that always will be, the God that if, if we understand and know through science that the only way we're here is, is through this thing that we call the space-time continuum. And to understand the space-time continuum, we have to know that there's, there's something outside of the space-time continuum that spoke that into existence. It, the, the Bible says that that's God. And that God, the one that that spoke into existence a mountain like this, that said, tree, you go there. Mountain range, I want you there. Water separate from the land. That God chose to come to somebody like Jonah and speak and show up 
Why? Because God is a God that pursues. Right? From the very beginning of this story, if we go all the way back to Genesis, that when God chooses to create the world and speak this place into existence, he creates a guy named Adam and a woman named Eve. If you've been around the church, like this isn't new to you. This isn't news to you. If you're new to this whole thing, there's two people at the beginning, Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, they were created in the image of God. That They were kind of the pinnacle of God's creation. And yet they chose to go against God's design for life. And the ripple effects of that are seen thousands and thousands of years later in our life. And yet when Adam and Eve, when they chose for the very first time to go against God's design, it's what we call sin, right? Something happened there. Something was broken there. There was a relationship with God where they lived in perfection that was, that was broken. It was fractured. Right? They committed cosmic treason and we're, we're experiencing the effects of that today. But I love what God says. One of the very first things that God says in the garden after Adam and Eve have chosen their own way instead of God's way Right? God says this, he's walking in the cool of the day, he's walking in the garden, and he says, where are you? And I love this moment, right? Because it's not like the God of the universe lost Adam and Eve, right? It's not like an all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God was like, well, shoot, I left him right here. Right? <laughs> like, it, it wasn't like he, like he needed to know, like, hey, uh, where, where are you? Like, Dang it, right? An all-knowing, all-present God didn't lose Adam and Eve. This is like the moment where, like, siblings, how many of you have siblings in the room, okay? This is the moment where, like, you smacked your sister, you smacked your brother, and, like, you can still see the, like, red mark on their skin, right? And your parents walk in, and they're like, did you hit your sister? That's not a question, right? Like, that's not, they're not asking whether it happened or not. They're, they're, it's a, it's a cry for relationship. It's, it's, in this moment, God doesn't just go like, shoot, where are you? He's going like, where are you? Like, why have you, in, why have you stepped out of my design, the way that I created for you? See, this God from the, from the very beginning, when sin entered into the picture, he proves that he is a God that pursues. And so the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and he says, go, Jonah, to the great city of Nineveh. Just like I have pursued you, I want you to pursue them, and I want you to preach against their wickedness, because their wickedness has come up against me. Notice that God doesn't just say that there's, their, their wickedness is present, that their wickedness is real, that there's sin in this place called Nineveh. No, he says that it's their wickedness has come up against me. It seems like God takes it personally. And we're going to dive a little bit more into this tomorrow morning. But there's a, there's a fascinating fact here that the God of the universe doesn't just say, there is sin in, in the world, and it's kind of an issue. No, he goes, it's, it's come up against me. See, that when you and I, when we sin, that it's not just that we do things that are wrong. It's not just that, that there are moments in our life where we make mistakes. No, it, there is a God. Like this, this story makes it clear. And when we, you and I sin, when there's sin present in our life, it's not just that it goes into the atmosphere. It's that we sin against him. See, sin defined, if you're taking notes tonight, sin is very simply any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's design for, for our life. Any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's design for our life. And as you and I have lived our life, right, it's, it's not difficult to look around in the world and to see brokenness, to see wickedness. 
right? Like flip on CNN, flip on Fox News, flip on, and, and like whatever news channel you want to turn on, like just Google what's happening in the world today. And it's pretty easy to look around and see like sin and brokenness and wickedness, right? Like that's not, like none of us would sit here and go like, well, I think the world is like mostly good. It, it's, it's pretty easy to see. And yet sometimes if you're anything like me, it's pretty easy to go like, well, that's like a, that's an out there problem. You know, it's one of the easiest places to see sin. I, I'm an uncle of 12 now. I'm, I have three older siblings and my, my siblings have just gone like wild, right? Like they just, so many kids, okay? And, and I was just with them over Thanksgiving. And so with Piper, with my daughter, there's 13 of them and the oldest is eight years old. Okay, so it's just like, Anytime we're all together, it's just like bonkers. Like all the adults, we make like an octagon, right? And we just like put them in the middle and we're like, hopefully nobody dies. Like it's just, it's like herding cats at all times. But there's this like, there's this brilliant thing that happens with kids that when you watch it happen, like my, I was watching two of my nephews play and uh, one of my nephews is like, he pulls out this big old bin of trucks, like these like toy trucks and cars and like different things. And, and he pulls out one of them and he's like, like making truck noises, or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then one of my other nephews goes over and there's, there's literally a bin full of like 57 trucks right there. But one, one of my other nephews walks over and he walks straight up to the nephew that's like, and he grabs that one out of his hand and he says, mine, right? <laughs> mine. Uh, like it, it's, it, and I was watching this and I was like, no way. Sin, <laughs> like wickedness. And, and like, I, I like to think that my siblings are like pretty good parents, like for the most part, like they're not perfect by any means, but they're pretty good parents. Like n no parent in their right mind ever teaches their kid, right? They never like, it wasn't like my sister sat down with her son and was like, Hey, look, Alexander, your, your cousins are coming into town and you know your trucks? And he's like, uh-huh. He's like, okay, so you're, you're gonna be playing with your trucks and there's gonna come a moment where um, one of your nephews wants the truck that you're playing with and what I want you to do is when he wants to play with it, I want you to snatch it. I want you to scream at the top of your lungs and I want you to say mine as angrily as you possibly can. Like that's not parenting. No one, no one teaches that. Right? Like it's, it's not like when that happened and you went, mine, and they started freaking out and like wrestling over one of it. Like my siblings were like, we're so proud. <laughs> right? Like that's not parenting. No one teaches their kid that. Right? Like my, my wife and I were starting to like have to parent our daughter Piper. And, and it's like, it's terrifying, y'all. Like if I can just be honest with you, like year one of a kid's life is just basically keeping something alive, right? Like it's like a lot of poopy diapers, it's meals, it's sleep and sleeplessness, but it's mainly keeping something alive. And then the last couple of months have like, we started to introduce the word N-O, which is terrifying, right? When you tell somebody no, it gives them the ability to, to give you that look, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like it's, it's the one where we go like, Piper, no, like don't touch that. That's the stove. It'll burn you, right? And it's like, Piper, no. And then she gives me like that look and she's like, <laughs> and I'm like, Piper, she's like, touch. <laughs> it's like, and I'm like, no way. Like 16 months old, it's you start to see sin, you start to see rebellion. And, I, and I, it's really easy for me as an uncle to look at my nephews and be like, sinners. <laughs> but friends, don't we do the same thing? Right? It's, it's the thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes in our life that God says their wickedness, their rebellion has, has risen, risen up against me. 
that that's present in your life, that's present in my life. Right? Scripture makes it pretty crystal clear in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there was no one righteous, not even one. Right? That word righteous, it's a big churchy word that just means right with God. Right? Romans will go on to say that we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God, that that sin is present in all of our lives. But you know, you know what I think you and I are really, really guilty of? I'm really, really guilty of walking around and believing that I'm not that bad. And when I start thinking I'm not that bad, ultimately what I start to believe is that God isn't really that good. And when I think to myself, like, I'm not, I'm not that bad, you know how I can come to that conclusion? Comparison. I can start to look around me and I can look at other people in my high school or I can look at other people in life and I can go like, well, I'm not as bad as her. They do way worse things than I do. I'm actually pretty good. Right? Like I, I go to church and I, I go to youth group and I read my Bible and like I'm, I'm mostly respectful and like I, I do a lot of really great things. And I can start to believe the lie that I'm not really that bad and God isn't really that good. And friends, this is the lie that Jonah, that Jojo in our story starts to buy into. Remember the conversation between like the bumblebee and Jojo as they're going? And she's like, whoa, wait, let me get this straight. You're mad at them because they've disobeyed the gardener. And he's like, uh-huh, that's right. And she's like, well, what are you doing? He goes, this is different. And it's like, ha LOL. Wait, I do that all the time. I can look at people around me and go, they're wrong. They're doing wrong. They're, it's, they're messed up. They're going against God's design for life. And they're, they, 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 they. And the problem is, I don't stop often enough to look into the mirror and understand, are there thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes in my life that fundamentally go against God's design for my life? But again, it's easy to fall into the trap, especially as a follower of Jesus, of thinking that this book is just a bunch of rules. And going, I, I'm trying and, and it's hard and there's so many rules and it's this book about what I need to do to get to God. But friends, what if this was the greatest story ever told about what God has already done to get to you? What if in the midst of my heart being opposed to God's heart, what if his heart was for you? What if his heart was for me? See, I, I, being an uncle, you get to do uncle things that like aren't parenting things, like sit back and watch tantrums. Um, and when you're an uncle or an aunt someday, or any, any of you already uncles and aunts, like does that already happen for some of you? Okay, you get this, okay? Um, I was similarly up in, in Washington State, it's where my whole family lives, and I'm sitting back on a chair watching my little niece Emma having like the ultimate meltdown moment. Homegirl's like all pretty and pink and passionate and like she just lives life to the fullest. Like they live on a, a farm up in Washington and she literally has like pink bedazzled cowgirl boots. It's phenomenal. Everything about this girl is awesome. And uh, she was walking over to the counter and you know when kids can like barely reach the tippy top of the counter? She's on her like tippy toes and she's reaching up for this uh, sippy cup full of milk and she's reaching for it and she can't quite reach it. And then right when she's about to get it, my sister Amber has five kids. That's right. I said five kids. And she, she's like bouncing one of her babies on her hip. And she turns around and she sees Emma about to get the, the sippy cup full of milk. And she reaches, she goes, no, Emma. And she, she snatches it and she walks away. And if you know anything about little girls in bedazzled cowgirl boots, 
Emma wants what Emma wants, when Emma wants it, how Emma wants it. And so in this moment where she was like, almost, can almost reach it, and then it got snatched from her, it was like World War III, y'all. Like in this moment, you know that moment when kids scream where it's like silent for a second, and then it's like, like just, it just breaks loose. Like I'm sitting there as the uncle sitting back in the chair, like just watching this thing unfold, right? Like I'm not going to do anything. I'm the uncle. I get to have fun. And then they poop in their diapers and I'm like, sis, your kid pooped, right? Like come take care of them. Like I'm not, I'm not doing it. And so I'm watching this unfold and, and my sister turns around and she goes, Emma, trust me, you don't want that. And she's opening up the fridge. She goes, that's spoiled milk. Friends, and if there's anything that's like, more gross in life than spoiled milk. I don't know what it is. You know that moment where you like make a late night bowl of cereal and you, you, you like take that first bite and you're like, that's weird, right? Like that, and you, you have to take the second bite just to confirm, right? You like take that second bite and you're like, no, that's definitely weird. And then you go to the fridge and you take that thing, like you take the whole milk out and you unscrew the top and you're like, oh, Right? Like it's the worst smelling thing ever. And so like to drink that, to taste it, it's just, it's disgusting. There's nothing, there's nothing about spoiled milk. Like it smells bad. It tastes bad. Like everything about it is just terrible. Like, and then you pour it down the sink and it's got like the chunks in it. And you're like, I took two bites of that in my cereal. Like it's just, it's terrible. And so in this moment, my sister is being like the best mom she can possibly be by going like, Emma, trust me, you don't want that. That's been sitting on the counter for like two weeks. <laughs> like, you do not want that spoiled milk. She's like, let me get you a fresh. Man, she pulls it out and she takes the, the milk out of the fridge and she's pouring her like this fresh sippy cup of milk and she walks back over. She's like, Emma, like here, like I'm giving it to you. I'm literally gifting you this. And Emma's going like, I always wanted that milk. Like just like losing her mind. And I was watching this unfold and I went, huh. I think that's me more often than not. Minus the pink bedazzled cowgirl boots. But friends, you know how often in life, as I've opened up this story, as I've started to crack this thing open and start to understand who God is and what his heart's like, I start to see a God that pursues, a God that is good, a God that is loving, a God that 1 John chapter 4 says is love. Like if you want to define what is love in the world, you have to first and foremost look at who God is because he says it's me, it's my character. It's not something I have, it's not something I do, it's not something that I, I feel. No, God says he, I am love embodied. And the more that I start to understand who this God is, I understand that Right? Like John chapter 10, verse 10 says, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and life abundant. That as this God pursues, he wants to meet you and he wants to demonstrate to you what life could actually look like if we trusted him. And so going back to the beginning, friends, so much of my life was spent thinking that I had to live this boring life, but at least I got heaven at the end. And what I missed was the fact that Jesus says, if you want to live the most abundant, fulfilled, satisfied life possible, it's gonna be my way. But your thoughts, your words, your actions, your attitudes, they're fundamentally opposed to my way. If we just, if we just throw it in autopilot, friends, what we do naturally 
is never going to align with God's heart. It doesn't come naturally to us. Just, just look at two little boys playing with trucks. Friends, there was 56 other trucks they could have played with. And they snatched one and went, mine. And yet you and I do that too, right? At 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, at almost 30 years old, there's so many moments in my life where my thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes, they don't reflect God's design for my life. And so we're stuck. And the sin present in my life, right, friends, it's, it absolutely can be fun, right? Like sin is fun. If it's not, you're probably doing it wrong, right? Like the, the problem isn't that it's not fun. The problem isn't that it doesn't create temporal happiness. The problem is, is that it doesn't, it doesn't last. It's not fulfillment. It's not satisfaction. Hey, y'all know Tom Brady? Like, arguably, actually, probably now, like, hands down, the greatest quarterback of all time. Like, it's kind of undeniable at this point. I was watching, like, I don't care if you're mad about it. It's true, okay? You might go, like, boo, Tom Brady. But, like, you wouldn't if you saw him face-to-face, right? Like, if you and I ran into it, you wouldn't be like, boo, Tom Brady. You'd be like, oh, my gosh, it's Tom Brady. Like, we'd all undeniably go, like, you're the GOAT, right? We, we admit it, right? Like, and if you're not a football fan, Tom Brady is the winniest quarterback of all time. Like, he just yeah, that's a word, winniest. It's like Winnie, like horses, Winnie, and Tom Brady, both of them, okay? And so I was watching this 60-minute interview with Tom Brady. This was like back when he won his, after he won his third Super Bowl. And in this 60-minute interview, I was watching this on YouTube recently, the the interviewer goes like, Tom, like you kind of got it all. Like you married Giselle. She's one of the most successful supermodels on planet Earth. At the time, she was making like double, almost triple what he was making. So he has like all the money in the world. He, had, he has two kids. He's won three Super Bowls, MVPs. Like you look at Tom Brady, you kind of go like, you've pretty much made it. Like I don't know what I'm striving after in life, but like it's, I'm not going to get to where you are. I'm never going to have that much money, right? Like I'm, there, I'm not going to have that family. Like I, it's just, it's not going to happen. It doesn't, it doesn't exist outside of what he has in that little sphere. And the interviewer's talking to Tom Brady, and he goes, Tom, like, how's it feel, man? And Tom says this. He goes, God, there's got to be something more. And I went, huh? And I literally did the, like, drag back on YouTube, right? Like, the, like, rewind. And he went, God, there's got to be something more. And I, y'all, I, I did this, like, ten times. I was like, because I didn't believe it. I was like, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. I was like remixing it in my head, going like, uh, "How?" And it's because if we actually believed and trusted that this is the greatest story ever told, we we would understand that nothing around us is ever going to fulfill and satisfy the way that God has designed for us to be fulfilled and satisfied. One of my favorite theologians of all time, a guy named C.S. Lewis, he said, if we find in, our, in this world that nothing will satisfy, maybe, just maybe, we were created for another world. And so we start out this story by seeing a God that pursues, and yet a nation, a city, Nineveh, and a man, Jojo, Jonah, that because of their sin, because of their rebellion, because of their wickedness, there's this distance. There's this chasm that exists between that God and these people who are sinful, who are broken. Y'all, I'm I'm stoked to spend this weekend with you. 
I'm stoked to dive into the rest of the story, to, to have cool conversations in cabin time. But I want to challenge you and I want to invite you. Don't miss what God has for you this weekend. I believe wholeheartedly that each and every one of us has a divine appointment. Don't miss it. Don't be so distracted this weekend that you miss the God of the universe that wants to meet you, that wants you to experience him. Why? Because he's a God that pursues. Pray with me. God, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for a story like Jonah. And a, a teensy, tiny book in the Old Testament that tells us about who you are and your character. God, thank you that you are a God that pursues, that you're a God that pursued Jonah, that you're a God that pursued Nineveh, that you're a God that pursues us. And God, this weekend, I just, I ask boldly that you would meet us, God, that we would experience you. God, maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe for the first time ever, or maybe just a, a continuation of an awesome walk with you, a journey through this life. God, thank you that you are the God that satisfies, you are the God that fulfills May we not miss that this weekend. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.